From the creators of Basic Instinct, the last time they took you to the edge. This time, they're taking you all the way. We take the cash, we cash the check, we show them what they want to see. You got more natural talent when you dance than anybody I've ever seen. She's going down to the stardust. She's going to be in the show. Right? If someone gets in your way, step on them. It's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about power. You're a stripper. Don't you get it? I'm a dancer. She's dazzling, she's exciting, and she's what Las Vegas is all about. The passion is real. I could fall in love with you. The desire is intense. You can't touch me, but I can touch you. I'd really love to touch you. And the show is about to begin. Showgirls. Leave your inhibitions at the door. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dance Potential here. And you're joining myself and Joe for another episode where we discuss Showgirls. I forgot the name of um, it for a moment. I was about to say Striptease, which is another film. <laughs> which is another film, I think that's kind of similar. Um, that was a good start. So, Joe, how, how do you feel after we just watched that? How do you, can you describe your immediate emotions? Immediate emotions. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't feel like sad. I don't feel bored. I actually feel like there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I think, you know, Showgirls, I mean, before we get into all the details of what it is, mm. um, it's another one of these films that's considered terrible and it had a disastrous opening at the box office and it's, it was kind of destroyed by the critics and all the typical things of films that we talk about here. Um, but maybe more so than some of the other films we talked about, this seems to have had a, as you've mentioned to me, like a cult revival and a kind of a re, what's the word? You know, when you go back and you look at it again. Um, um, what's that word? 
reconsideration almost yeah something yeah that kind of thing yeah um, by, by critics and stuff like that because mm. uh, okay well let me let me just talk about the plot then shall we because through the through that we can well maybe our listeners can work on work with us to see if this is like a satire or not um, but it's basically uh, follows a a kind of um, a young woman who's kind of going from town to town, it seems. She doesn't really have a home. She's a bit of a drifter. And she arrives in Las Vegas wanting to be a showgirl. Um, and so she starts off in this kind of seedy strip club, uh, working there. And through that, she ends up getting tied into this much bigger club called Stardust, I believe. And it's there that she works her way into becoming a showgirl and uh, she uh, ends up kind of having a romantic relationship with the head of the show, uh, which then uh, gets her tangled up with the show's current star named Crystal. And uh, as a result, you know, all kinds of drama ensues. And it's one of those, you know, rise up to the top stories only to maybe, you know, fall back down again. Um, it's like rags to riches tale, you know, but it's got this, it's still set in this seedy, Las Vegas underbelly, you know, neon lights and like like scuzzy back alleys and seedy men, that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, so, yeah, that's the kind of outline of the plot, I suppose. Um, the film was made, the budget of the film was $45 million, mm -hmm. which for nine ninety five, I mean, for now, uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, who you said was Dutch. He's a Dutch director, correct? Yes, he's a Dutch director, yeah. and he directed one of my favourite films, Robocop. He mm -hmm. also has done uh, Starship Troopers, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, which is the film that he did before Showgirls, and recently he has done Elle, um, which received critical acclaim, but also dealt with quite a controversial subject. Um, yeah. yeah, he's a... He's, he, he's been like a, a controversial director pretty much his whole career in different ways, right? Mm. And, uh, but he's always seemed to take kind of satirical edge to his stories. There's always something else going on. Like you mentioned with Starship Troopers, mm. uh, you know, something online that it was actually about fascism or something. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, with Robocop, it's about... Um, a capitalist, uh, a hyper-capitalist yeah. society. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and Total Recall has elements of that as well. And mm. so... I mean, those three films there, I think, are great films. And uh, I haven't seen Basic Instinct, but it obviously did incredibly well. So this was his um, do-what-you-like moment. You know, he got, mm. he got the keys to the castle for a little bit, which is what happens in Hollywood when you have a big success, much like Battlefield Earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, so this is what he came up with. And it when it was re released, it received a... AO rating, which is one above uh, an R rating in America, mm. which severely limited the, the audience that could obviously see it because anything rated above R in American cinemas is you're basically, it, as you said, it's either pornography or like a snuff film or something beyond, you know, the normal consumption of media. So um, that had a huge effect. And also it was just considered to be badly acted. Um, 
and all other added cast, yeah. added cast, yeah. Mm. But, so I've, I've just kind of outlined the project. But what, what do you think? Mm. Your when you now you finish the film, what what's your first reaction? Um. Well, I'd heard a lot about this film, and I I remember seeing posters when I was younger. It's quite um. I'd say quite a disturbing poster. It's like her head and then her like body into her leg. Mm. Um, and, you know, my parents never let me watch it. Uh, I wonder why. So I've always been kind of curious about this and obviously like having seen a lot of Verhoeven's work and, and enjoying it. Um, I was kind of shocked to, to find that it's considered like really bad and didn't make that much money, which actually makes sense now that I've seen it and knowing that it was that hard, um, AO, did you say, the rating in America. So I went into it having kind of listened to what he said about it and he describes it as hyperbolic and um, insinuated that everything that has been criticised is purposeful. Um, You know, the acting has been seen as bad, but if I'm honest, everything I saw looked like, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like, you know, I don't think anything got away from him. I felt like this is part of his um, trademark, you know, to have a certain type of acting. And I think it's also just so consistent throughout the film that it would have been purposeful. Like he, I don't know what he would have told these actors, he didn't say, but he clearly wanted it to look like that and to feel like that. And whether that's good or not is up to the audience, I suppose, to, to, to discuss amongst themselves. But I felt like everything he did in this film was purposeful to a degree. Um, and it's just a matter of taste of whether you you like it or not, or you think it's good. Um, he's always been quite self-aware and all of his films have that self-awareness, like you said. Um, and all the films that you've mentioned have had that. So I, I feel like it is a satire and I felt like I kind of understood it. But I also, something that we discussed while we were watching it because we watched it together. And this is by far the most explicit film I've ever seen, <laughs> like period, mm. never mind with another person. But something that we kind of discussed was like, is this exploitative? You know, is this like, is this, obviously it's meant to show the seedy underbelly and a lot of what these women go through being kind of demeaned and, and treated like objects is something that definitely happens in real life. Never mind in the entertainment industry where abuse is so rife, but at the same time, like, there's, it, it, is it exploitative to to see these women without clothes on and and in scenes that are very very, you know, maybe not meant designed to be erotic necessarily, but certainly have an element of eroticism in it. Mm. You know, if you give, if she's giving someone a lap dance, then. And it's and it's a serious that done. It's not played for laughs, and you know. Um, yeah, so that's so, that's the kind of like yeah, the the cool. the thing that we described before was that you know this as we said before, this director has a kind of a, a track record of satires, and you know, there's a bit of a wink and a nod. There's always something more to stories. It's not just on the surface stuff. Um, but with this one, I I did find it difficult sometimes to see what the angle was mm. um, because as you said I quite I kind of appreciate its kind of honesty and not I didn't like appreciate and enjoy its brutality and honesty but it it's kind of it didn't gloss over it didn't make it things vanilla things felt quite seedy as you say 
Um, and so you kind of, and you, you know when you're watching a film that a director doesn't know what he's doing. It, they, like the tone shifts around too much, it's not consistent. Um, and this felt like it was a contained, it was a vision of some kind. Um, but what, what, is, what I'm struggling with is, you know, there's, there's huge amounts of nudity in this film. I'd say like 80% of the shots in the film, someone's nude in them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I think it's, it's all about the perspective you're taking when you're using nudity in films. Um, there are times where the nudity is just like part of the scenery and you, you see it's, there's so much of it that it doesn't even have an impact anymore. You're not, you, know, you don't notice it, you know? But then there are some incredibly drawn out sex sequences and um, yeah, the lap dance scene where it kind of tips the other way, where you, you, you're much more conscious of it all of a sudden. And I think that uh, does a disservice to the story. I think th this is a story about like working women just trying to make it in an incredibly patriarchal society. And, you know, there's certain things that some of the men say to the women, which are shocking but they don't feel like, like mad, shocking. They feel like just stuff that would have been said and still is said to, to women doing these roles, doing, working these jobs. You mm. know? Yeah. So it's this weird balance between, this is like a social satire in one sense, because it's about, you know, women trying to make it and survive in a, a patriarchal society. But on the other hand, it's directed by a man and there's a huge focus on uh, sex and uh, sexuality and stuff like that, which doesn't really fit in with a satire. It's almost like they just had license to do lots of long sexual scenes and just stick them in between, you know, the, the, the satire aspects. Mm. Um, what do you think about that? Do you, what, what, where do you think it falls on, the, on each side of that satire? Um, or not? I think it's definitely satirical, but I think what, I suppose that, it's maybe it's okay how do i how do i begin the sentence um <laughs> <laughs> you know like these are working women like she starts out as a stripper and then she um you know her dream is to be a showgirl and i think something that's quite clear for her is that she's very confident in her in her sexuality she she um isn't doesn't believe that like promiscuous promiscuity sorry is a bad thing she's happy to you know get with some guys and stuff and uh dance on them and that's something that she's very proud of and that is the kind of more erotic side the the, the lap dance scene which is arguably that and i suppose like the scene when they're in the swimming pool which is actually with the same guy i think that is probably the the most drawn out scene and probably the most kind of overtly sexual with like little satire but that one's also a scene about power you know she's doing it on um Carl McLaughlin's character um who is the I think he like manages manages the show um mm. and she's doing it in front of Crystal who's her essentially her competitor who's currently the top showgirl yeah. and that whole scene is her basically proving herself and to look this Crystal woman in the eye who's initially trying to humiliate her by making her do a lap dance, but she kind of, she kind of owns that. And she actually um, makes Carl McLaughlin orgasm. And I do wonder whether that's supposed to say like, you know, it can be sexy, but it also can be something else. It can be empowering for her. But 
but it can also be you know erotic for a viewer or like you know sexy for a viewer or whatever but that's not what the entire film is about the entire film is about it's like a mixture of sex and power and, and violence all of those things together and i think that's what he's I, I feel like that's what he's trying to say, that all of these things happen, all of these things exist in this universe and it's just a question of like who kind of um, uses it more. Mm. Um, but again, it is difficult because like Paul, Paul Verhoeven, as far as I know, have had has had two um, accusations, one from Sharon Stone saying that during Basic Instinct, he didn't tell her about um, the, the underwear scene, and and she said that he told her that the camera wouldn't pick up her um, essentially like bare like uh, genitals, and um, it did, and that's one of the most iconic scenes of the, the the film. And then the second, to which he said that that's not true because he showed her the the shot, and then he also, you know, he also stuck a camera in a place that was quite obvious. And then the second one was um, an accusation from a screenwriter who was working with him, who, you know, he did the whole kind of, if you, if you have sex with me, I'll make you a star or whatever, which is something that is addressed in, in, this, in this film. So something like that makes me kind of question his motives a little bit more. But I also think at the time, like he did have an idea of what he wanted and he did want to see women getting exploited in this world of sex and in this world of like, you know, Las Vegas dreams and whether, I don't know, I think it's, it's just a complex question of whether well, he was fully exploitative or whether he had a vision for a, for a yeah. film about these themes. Because I think, I think the reason why this is important to talk about is because mm. the way in which this film was received at the time and the way it seems to, you know, that it's true, it enjoyed its cult status and being seeing a bit of a revival now, or, but you know, revisiting it to see if it was, you know, as, as often happens, like it happened with like Days of Heaven, like Terence Malick's film, mm. or Heaven's Gate. You know, people now see, consider Heaven, Heaven's Gate kind of a masterpiece in different ways, and it was obviously destroyed at the time. But the reason I'm saying it is because I can only envision when this film came out, the critics saw it, they didn't, they didn't buy into the satire angle. They saw it just as a a slightly melodramatic, as you say, hyperbolic, which it is, mad, sex-filled, you know, nudity-filled story. Um, I think it only becomes interesting when you, you, you take that other angle, which I think is something that's started to happen more now, you know. Mm. Um, but it is, this is it's a central, this thing is niggling in my mind because it's a central thing, as you said, um, you know, this is a, this is a, a man directing this, right? And men, mm. men and women can direct any stories they want. And luckily now we're seeing more female voices coming into the filmmaking world, and that can only bring more interesting stories. But you know, it'd be so interesting to think if this film had been directed by a woman. Mm. Um, you know, would we have seen such? Uh, you know, would it have been done in a way that was still, you know, um, pers- what's the word? Yeah, not not quite as explicit um, because this is always just that little line it seems to cross just slightly mm-hmm. where you yeah. Yeah. I just lost the because there's lots of there's lots of social satire films and there's lots of um, films with nudity in them but it's it's about using it in certain ways that it kind of enhances the effect that you're going for or like better relays the the point you're going for and here it just felt like it was like window dressing in some parts. 
and mm. you can't get away. <laughs> it's an obvious thing to say. But you just can't slightly step away from the vision of the lechy, pervy director, slightly using his Hollywood power just to, you know, put some shit on the screen that you wanted to see. And that's, I think, unfair. But mm. that's something you have to think about because um, what's interesting is that he's describing this world of showgirls in Las Vegas and, you know, men controlling everything, whatever. Mm. And that's exactly the same industry that he is working in at the time. Mm. Um, you know, the film industry in 1995, you know, thankfully now we're getting, as I said, more female voices and it's hopefully becoming more and more open. Um, but back then it was a world controlled by white men completely. Yeah. I don't think there were any female directors really working at that level in Hollywood, you know? So mm-hmm. it's ironic, really, that he's making a satire about power and male dominance in that world. But in reality, he's working in it, and he's probably, yeah. you know, he's one probably of the... guilty. Also. Yeah, probably guilty, Stuff. right? Because yeah. to be a director in Hollywood of that level of success, which he had had at the time, mm-hmm. he must, there must have been aspects of those characters that you'd see in him. So because of that... Um, it's not like this film was directed by an ex-showgirl or something like that, which could, you know, mm. that could add some credence to the satire. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by, what's the name of the guy who wrote it? Joe? Was it? No. As a, uh, I can't pronounce the surname, but it's as a, it's the same guy who did yeah. um, Basic Incident, actually. Joe, Joe Esterhaus. Esterhaus, Esterhaus. Yeah, That's so he wrote... Hard to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instinct and Silver, two films that Sharon Stone starred in. And as a result, he became the highest paid screenwriter in American history. Um, And so, again, uh, another man. And both of them, you know, Verhoeven coming off that Basic Instinct and him together, they had free license. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is because if this film had come out of a partnership that was like, you know, two young filmmakers, maybe a woman filmmaker, and they just scrabbled together the money and they tried to say something about the life of a showgirl. You'd kind of, there'd be a bit more credence to the two, rather than the two ultra successful male uh, director mm-hmm. and writers just picking a topic and throwing a bunch of money at it because they could. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yes. Um, but I mean, what, what do you think now? Like, so this film, why do you think this film is being revisited now? Why do you think that's happening? I think, I think, I think one of the reasons why this film did really badly when it came out was because I think people were expecting something really sexual and sexy, but when they watched it, they actually found it kind of ridiculous at times. Mm. Um, especially when she's doing these like, insane tricks during sex which is just like in a pool as well nonetheless which can't be comfortable um and people you know people had like reactions to that they think even i i looked up um showgirls on like uh, a message board and people were saying like you know how is the sex it wasn't sexy at all like it was ridiculous and it's just kind of like you know if you tune in if you come into this film expecting to be you know, for like a two-hour porno then you probably will have a bad reaction to it. And mm. I wonder if critics also almost felt the same, not that they mm. would welcome a porno, but like, you know, and so I think it just didn't meet these expectations that the marketing, that supposedly the marketing did. Um, and now people probably look at it from maybe a point of view that Verhoeven 
had intended, maybe for better or worse. Like let's let's throw out the fact that you know he is a straight guy who actually does have a lot of nudity in all of his films under the guise of I'm European, so it's completely right. for us. <laughs> Which is, um, and he's Dutch, I suppose. He was born in Amsterdam. I don't know if that has an. Know, I, just to, just to say that, that doesn't give them free license to put nudity <laughs> no. in their films and then not be, you know, people have Cassis. a second glance at them and going, wait, oh, you. I think that's a very uh, a thing that you'd say if you're a European in America. You yes. say, it's just the European. Yeah, it's totally way. normal. It's the European. Way. We do it all the time over there. Don't, 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 yeah. don't worry. So that's fine. <laughs> Uh, you know, you get, you get you got perverts and lechy old men in fucking Holland as much as anywhere. You know, so precisely, know. precisely. Um, so you know, uh, but let's just throw that out the window and say, like, you know, look at it as just like from from a film and the story point of view. Like the, I think it's very clear in in kind of what it's trying to say. It's trying to say like this is a disgusting world filled with disgusting people and our protagonist, um, Nomi Malone, who also has a criminal history of like, and she's, and she's tough and has seen it all. Um, only someone who's like that tough and that horrible can survive in it. Scott free because the only character who is genuinely nice is, um, you know, raped in in the film. And that's something Mm. that is obviously purposeful. She's, and where she is raped, it's in the middle of, it's contrasted with like this big celebratory party in this giant mansion in in Vegas. And that's obviously supposed to be, you know. Just to to give it a bit more, just a context to that. So um, the the woman in question is named Molly and she's a, a friend of the main character, Nomi. And throughout the film, she's built up as being quite a positive, uh, bubbly person. And she's, yeah, like a kind of be- little beacon of light in an otherwise seedy pool of uh, uh, disgusting people. And um, in that way, that's a, that's a storytelling technique is because you're, you're, you're uh, becoming invested in someone, um, you know, uh, subconsciously. You're, you're, mm-hmm. You like someone on screen, so you become invested in more and more. Deliberate story technique that she is then the one who upon uh, arriving at this party with Nomi spots or knows that uh, someone very famous that she likes is at the party and she goes up to him and talks to him and he takes her up to her room and, and then there's this rape scene mm. where he locks her in the door with two other guys. She's held down. It's incredibly explicit. Mm. And you've told me that scene, just as a side thing, you've told me that scene is cut out when they do watch along parties, right? Cause this film has mm. done, there's lots of watch along parties these days. This film, for, you know, for like, midnight screenings and stuff but um but yeah that's just the context of 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 that um because yeah it, it's it's a it's a huge moment in the film because it's like it's it's a there's so much to talk about with that scene but it's like a huge slap in the face in the film like in terms of like it was this kind of slightly carefree you know like a kind of cabaret kind of feel to it and then suddenly bang you know this horrible event is we see this horrible event take place so um yes yeah yeah yeah. um and it is like a really horrible and jarring scene and and you know i don't really blame i i i do feel like i do feel like you can tell the story and allude to something like that um easily but i i also think like behoven's not the type to shy away from those kind of scenes and clearly he was trying to say like 
something like this happens on the daily like uh especially like in this kind of business and show business or like you know entertainment i'm sure in hollywood or things like that where you can have this lavish party filled with people networking or doing whatever they're doing and then you can have assault and rape mm. in like happening simultaneously and that's the kind of world and I think because he paints such a bleak picture with that world, especially, and it, it kind of cements it with that scene, people are kind of confused because the film also looks so pretty. And it, right. like you said, it has that showgirls cabaret kind of vibe. You know, it's Vegas, neon lights. It's a beautifully shot film. Yeah. And I think that's even more confusing for some people because it's like, wait, is but this that, meant to be like good or bad? Or- that is the essence of the satire, right? In terms of the way you can convey satire into, in a film is through the contrast of the action or the emotion of the characters with the setting. So mm. as you say, you know, often the, the things that people say are horrible, sexual, mm. especially the way the men speak to a lot of the women in the film. Mm-hmm. And, but the backdrop's always glitzy and there's neon lights and uh, beautiful makeup and everything's, you know, it's got that facade of, of, of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting, you know, you, it's an interesting way of telling the story and that is a deliberate decision. So there's, there's thought behind that. Um, so it's interesting that the, the, the one thing that makes the film more than just, you know, a kind of, yeah, nudist spree kind of mad thing is probably the one thing, as you say, which maybe confused audiences because, mm. You know, it's a shame, but it's probably true to say that if this film was like a bit, I don't know, a bit dumber or tried to have less aspirations of being a satire, it probably would have done much better at the box office, right? Mm, very um, true. I agree. Um, yeah. Which is a shame because I, I, you know, I, we're only saying this, focusing on the satire thing because it is literally Paul Verhoeven's MO. He does it, mm. he's done it pretty much every single film he's done. But usually it's quite clear. And you get the feeling it's quite clear. Uh, like it's impossible, I think, to watch Robocop and not know there's something else going on in the mind of the director or, you know, even Starship Troopers. Um, so, but I, I, I'm still finding it difficult. This one's such a, well, it's such a on the knife edge one for me in terms of am I buying into it or is it just stupid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think if, if he didn't have like a whole bunch of films that mm, he he's handled quite confidently then I would I would definitely not think that much of this film but it is it, it does have me a bit confused I'm not sure kind of how to think of it um and it's it's quite different from a lot of the films that we've watched so far because it's probably the only kind of um really genuinely well made I mean in terms of the technical elements um, apart from Attack of the Clones which is obviously huge budget um, and it's it's by a director who has by all means as far as I know has not actually done another bad film and yet this is considered for a long time it was considered one of the worst films ever made mm. so yeah it's 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 an interesting one to talk about because because if you if you can't see the intent behind the director and what he wants or she wants then maybe it isn't a good film but i to an extent i see the intent of it i just well yeah i mean you, can... uh, you you've said that you know you've heard mahoven say that like he felt like the the dialogue 
specifically, which is an aspect of the film that people call out as being mm. objectively terrible, which in some parts it is. Mm. But you said that Verhoeven has said that no, it's meant to be that way. You know, he went down that that line. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a deliberate choice, and that's always a that's always when you slightly lose me. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you've got satire and you've got irony, mm. but. I don't think you can bend that towards pretending that something is terrible was deliberately so. Um, mm, mm. But so, I, I'd also say, you, you said as well, like the, um, I feel like we're lawyers, like you said <laughs> on May the 5th, in this of 2011. Where were you on the night of Showgirls? <laughs> where were you when it was released, Joe? <laughs> um, I was three, so I was probably running around in, uh, actually, I used to have one of these things that my mum and dad put me in. I think they, well, they're listening, so they'll tell me if I'm wrong, but they, they put me on this like, little bungee cord thing with wheels. Oh, yeah. So that's probably where I was the day this was released, running around the flat on the floor in my Watching bungee cord. Girls. I mean, if Showgirls was on, then I had to, I had to talk to my parents because yeah, that's not on. You ran towards the screen. Um, <laughs> bungeeing away um yeah like you you said i think the directing is really good and you've said that i agree with it um everyone gives <laughs> i i don't know when people say like these are bad performances I, i'm not sure if i i don't know if i feel that i just felt like they, i don't think they were i think the main character um nomi she was <sighs> i think facially she she wasn't giving me some some of the no. storyline but um i think for the most part you know everyone kind of did their job i think carl mcclucklin carl mcclucklin mcclucklin oh um, carl mcclucklin that's not okay. <laughs> it's like a chicken thing <laughs> carl mcclucklin <laughs> carl mcclucklin um he the guy from twin peaks yes the guy from twin peaks um he he was questionable he had a spider-man 3 haircut with the emo kind of yeah actually i read a quote from carl mcluckin that said that about this film and you might have read it as well but he's saying when he was at the premiere um he said he had a sinking feeling in his stomach because he said that with every scene that passed he thought he was waiting for it to get better (laughs) he said it got worse Uh, and we should also say that you know so the the main character Naomi, she's played by a woman what's her name elizabeth burke i believe her name is Mm -hmm who was in um, Saved by the Bell, that 90s TV show. And this this role that she's in was turned down by tons of actresses. It was turned down by like Drew Barrymore, uh, Charlize Theron, Angelina Jolie. And she basically took the role on when Saved by the Bell was cancelled, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something about that which is just, I don't know, it's a bit off-putting because... It doesn't, I don't know, if you read that this role on the page, mm. is it a role that you'd ideally take if everything was going well, if you know what I mean? Mm. Um, because it asks a hell of a lot of you as, as an actress. Mm. And to be fair to her, I think she's incredibly brave at what she does on the screen, man. Yes. The confidence she must have had, uh, the physicality of the role, the amount of goddamn nudity. She's, she's nude for pretty much every single scene. Um, uh, is amazing that she 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 did it, but I don't know. It doesn't. It puts me slightly uneasy to think yeah. that you have to take this kind of role on because it is really quite extreme. And it ended up, you know, as we said, she got dropped by her agent as a result of this film. 
And, you know, you read her IMDb page and she hasn't really picked things up since then, really. She has, she's had small things here and there, but mm-hmm. uh, people have said, you know, she got the worst actress award and she's kind of destroyed by it a bit. <laughs> um, which is a shame because, you know, she wasn't a great actress, but again, I mean, what, what does she have to work with? What does she have in terms of a character that we knew about or she could work with emotionally? There wasn't much, was there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, like, reading some of the reviews, um, like, at the time, calling her, like, quote-unquote, an open mouth, vacant-eyed, uh, inflatable party doll, I Ooh. think that's just so, um... Horrible. You know, even at the time, like, watching it, could you, like... Obviously, you could say, like, yes, I think facially she wasn't really giving me that much, and uh, I feel like some of the story may have been let down by even just, like, her lack of expression sometimes. However, sure. the physicality she brought to the role is insane. Like, <laughs> she dances like a maniac, and she <laughs> she <laughs> she is that character, and maybe that character is a bit kind of wide-eyed, naive, although you find out that she's not very naive, she's very tough, and um you know defensive or yeah I thought, that, I thought i thought i thought she did well at that at the end when she yeah. like so after the, the uh, friend is it goes through that rape um mm-hmm. rather than just you know trying you know sobbing in a corner she she goes back to the guy and basically kicks the shit out of him like she kicks his head in essentially mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i actually found that quite interesting because um often when women are like subjugated in films especially in the old times it would take some external force to pick them up and save them, be it some kind of like a male presence or a mm. you know, something, sometimes something like supernatural, some fucking, depending on what the, what the film is. Mm-hmm. But she just decides to go and tackle it, literally, and, you know, kick the hell out of him. You know, mm. violence is never the answer, but it was satisfying <laughs> to see this guy's head get, head get kicked in because he, he's a horrible monster. But yeah, yeah. I felt like it's kind of a modern way of tackling these stories, which is quite. I was, I was surprised to see it for a film that's 25 years old now. You know, there's a huge swathe now of female led, female driven stories where female characters take control of their own destinies and they don't wait around. They just do it, you know. So, in some ways, that was, that was kind of refreshing, wouldn't you say? You know, that. that I, turn yeah. Towards the end. yeah, I really love that. The only thing I would say is like Paul Verhoeven is. I mean, if you've seen Robocop, you'd know, like, it's, he is not afraid of very graphic violence. And sure. it's something that we actually don't see. Um, I, I do wonder as well whether that's purposeful, um, because usually it's the other way around. You see, like, very graphic, gory violence, which is also quite disturbing if you think about it. But in particularly American films, sex is usually the thing that pushes people. Like, it's a bit too much. Like, you, you'd never watch a film with your parents and, like, leave during a graphic kind of gory scene, but you would leave if like a sex scene comes on, you're like, oh, I need to go get a drink. <laughs> fuck off somewhere and not be here. You know, something that, so it's interesting that it was reversed in this where there's so much sex, like you can't not see a booby. Um, I just say booby. <laughs> a booby. But you, you don't see the damage she actually inflicts onto the guy and she does supposedly kick his head straight in and it would be not nice to see it but yeah it would have... why why do we see a quite graphic shot of a woman being raped mm. but we, we don't see the violent you know ending of a man's life maybe <laughs> like yeah yeah why, why is why question. is that not shown why do, why do yeah. you think 
I wonder I wonder if it's because like the rape is is like again like this is a film that kind of one of its main themes is sex and and power that still fits into the theme whereas like mm. I don't know I, I I do agree I think I would have I would have liked to see an equal amount of um graphicness yeah. in in the guy as well but I also do feel like maybe it was purposeful for what reason I'm, I'm yeah you know I, um, I think that the the this this film this the, there's a chance this film could ring more true now uh now that we know what we know about entertainment industry and mm-hmm. you know the things that men have have gotten away with for so long you know think about 995 I mean only people inside the industry and the women who had to go through these things, obviously they knew about it, but people at large, you know, they weren't aware of what like the Weinsteins of the world were doing. And, you know, they would just consume the entertainment. They would never think about yeah. the industry and the power and which that went into it in the back behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, so yeah, I, I wonder if this film came out now, you know, we are much more at ease with nudity now and sexuality and that kind of stuff. than even we were back then in 1995. Yeah. So I wonder if this story came out now, maybe if it was directed by a woman, that would be more beneficial. But yeah, I wonder if the irony is like, now, you know? yeah, if, I, I wonder if like a woman directed it, it would be seen as like this um, almost like aggressively feminist film. <laughs> um, yeah, by just, but and also bringing like a woman's point of view to it, um, especially because every single male character in this film is a scumbag. Um, none of them have, I mean, I don't think so anyway, none of them have redeeming features about them. Um, and that's obviously, um, whereas a lot of the women are, 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 you know, tough, but, and like, you know, sometimes horrible, but many of them I don't know about have you though, kindness to them. That, the, the scumbag nature of the men didn't seem overdone to me. It, it felt no. apt <laughs> and it felt like it fit into the world. It felt like that's what men in that world would be like. Yeah, you know, behind those first hand. I, well, I I don't know. I mean, maybe, but the, you know that there is a tendency often in female-driven stories to to portray all men as scum, mm. uh, and that's not always a bad thing. Some stories need that. Some stories maybe do overdo it. Some stories underdo it. But here it felt right. Like I didn't. I think all the men, men characters, male characters in this, you know, hyperbolic but fairly honest portrayal of you know the showgirl industry in las vegas from what i could tell at least yeah that seemed along the line so it's interesting because yeah. uh, you know i mean I'm, I'm actually just looking at paul verhoeven's imdb now and it's like it's like he's always up to his old tricks right his, mm-hmm. his latest film is called benedetta mm-hmm. and the log line is <laughs> bear in mind i think paul verhoeven's paul verhoeven's like 84 years old or something like that. <laughs> Uh, the log line for his new film is a 17th century nun in Italy suffers from disturbing religious and, and erotic visions. Mm-hmm. She is assisted by a companion and the relationship between the two women develops into a romantic love affair. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he has a real obsession with, um, he, he's also a Bible, ba- like he, he is a very, very knowledgeable Christian. He like what? has a, he is uh, like incredibly knowledgeable in the Bible and and always references the Bible. In in an interview that I saw when he was talking about showgirls, he also referenced the Bible. <laughs> what? Um, it yeah, it's a really interesting element of him. He's he said many a time that RoboCop is like Jesus after the resurrection. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> which yeah i can understand yeah i suppose i see what he's talking about but he he actually calls robocop the american jesus because he gets resurrected and starts killing people with guns oh my God. um i think verhoeven has a real low opinion on america which is really funny because that's where a lot of you know his very successful films have been made um but yeah he has a he he he, he always Maybe this can be another one in the pile of like Verhoeven's a dirty old bastard, but he always features sex, violence, power in some way or another. Like I'm pretty sure all of his films have like nudity in them, male and female, Um, more (laughs) predominantly female. But, um, you know, again, this is his whole European (laughs) nudity double. (laughs) We're all naked in Europe. which is always questionable, but yeah. What do you he's... think they, what, 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 what's something that we can take from it then? I think there's something to be said uh, in his portrayal of a uh, female character eventually. Um, there's two things actually. One, um, you know, Nomi's character, we don't know much about her, but I do like the way in which the, the control of information was, was handled mm. where, I mean, Carl McLaughlin's ta- character, he does slightly just splurge who she is right at the end. He basically finds like a case file on her and we, we find out she's like had a criminal past and stuff like that. Mm. But I quite like that. Um, you know, typically things are just said out loud immediately. Like, hey, I'm a bank robber. And you just, you know it and they get out of the way, you know. Yeah. And yeah. this film could have easily have gone by until the end and you not know a thing about her. She could have just be like a, a blank slate, you know, that horrible term that that reviewer used or whatever. Yeah. But you do learn about a bit about how to was the end and you do realise there's something underneath that facade, that ditzy mm. facade. She's actually quite strong and tough and actually quite violent, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that I was interesting. So. Uh, and then the second thing I'd say is that, um, yeah, it's it's refreshing to see an older, portray- like an older film portray a woman taking things into her own hands violently because it's, there's a trend more modern trend of, you know, revenge stories and, um, mm. you know, like a film like promising young woman that just came out, which is literally all about that, which is about a woman who pretends to be drunk on a night out, lures men who prey on her and, and kills them. Mm. Um, and I just don't think we used to see that that much in 1995. Female characters are either, um, you know, just eye candy or they were always at the mercy of a, a man st- coming to save them. And there isn't a man in Nomi's life that saves her. She, say what you like about everything, she 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 kind of succeeds at the end on her own dime, right? Because she, she gets to the top of the showgirl world. She mm-hmm. kind of, she says goodbye to her friends and she moves on. She doesn't get beaten up or she doesn't, you know, get arrested. She, she succeeds on her own dime. And, that's quite refreshing, I think, for for the time in which it came out. I mean, the nineteen nineties weren't like misogynistic hell, but you know, you had had action films and films like Speed and things like that, where the man was always in control. You know, yeah. Um, so that's yeah. Take that away from it. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think, um, yeah, I think that's it's like a female driven driven story and female led, and unfortunately. Unfortunately, women are abused, you know, on a day-to-day basis all over the world. And that's just the truth of it. And this is a film that, you know, walks this very fine, very fine line between wanting to um, address that 
but maybe also wanting to do it in a very tongue-in-cheek way that obviously many people will see as greasy <laughs> i suppose um and not very honest um by verhoven and maybe they have a right to to feel that way i certainly would look at this and kind of you know scratch my chin a little bit and be like mm, paul what you're doing but um <laughs> but at the same time you know like you said towards the end it becomes a revenge and interestingly enough like that's exactly where i would have wanted it to go and where i think any woman who saw what happened to Molly would want to see, you know, um, we'd want to see someone get punished for it. Um, and that's something that obviously does happen. It's, it's, for me, it's not even a question, like if I were to tell the story and that's clearly what he wants to, to portray as well. Like you, you can re reclaim some kind of power. Although obviously I would say like, you know, Molly's kind of like this innocent bystander and, um, she gets, the absolute worst thing happening to her so yeah, yeah. so i guess from a storytelling point of view yeah so i guess extrapolating from that like i think what we we could probably say in general about showgirls is that it's just it's unclear what the like central thread that we're meant to hold on to is it's mm -hmm. unclear what kind of film this really is you can, and i you know i think that's probably why it's so divisive and not really divisive it's just destroyed at the critics because <laughs> yeah. you you can't really buy into either side of it and mm. it's a weird it, it leaves you kind of like it's it's almost like he's asking you to make up your own mind either that means he didn't care enough to direct us in certain directions or in a, i just i don't i don't believe that someone like paul bovin who's a great director would just leave it so you know leave the question so open as to what you should take away from this story um mm -hmm. But I think that's probably why, yeah, it bamboos with critics at the time. So I guess something we, we could take away from that is that if you are going to do social satire, uh, kind of commit to it yeah. and maybe don't, maybe don't pepper your film, your story with aspects that will undercut the power of the satire or let's say confuse the power of the satire, because yeah. I do think in elements of this film, it gets sidetracked and gets infatuated with its own nudity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to the point where you do you do lose the satire and that's i think where it becomes a bit muddled so if you're going to do satire lean into it and make it clear um i i love the the contrast between the glitzy world and the seedy underbelly and that has been done before like you could watch most scorsese films uh you know and that's that's done there but yeah I, we've we, we've watched some stinkers so far haven't we and I don't think this is a stinker. I'm surprised that it was, it's some people consider it one of the worst films ever made. I don't think it's that. Do you? <laughs> I think that's a really insane thing to think. I mean, no, I mean, uh, what are you judging it on? Like, I think some people might judge it like ethically, like, oh, it's about, you know, it's horrible. It's, it, there's so much nudity. Women are being treated badly. There's a horrifying rape scene, you know, that's all true. But does that make it like the word, like then surely something like, I don't know, like Cannibal Holocaust or like Sodom no. or something would be oh, one God. of the worst films, which I don't think, I don't think either of those films are like ironic in any way. Nope. Um, so no, I don't think, I think people are really up in arms about it. And I think it almost proves Verhoeven, I, th I think it kind of proved his like hypothesis, right? Is that like America mm. in particular is very, very, prudish in a lot of ways and and something 
like he I'm sure from his angle he was like oh these American audiences they they don't understand that nudity is normal and like this is all normal and this is all something that happens in real life and they just don't want to see it I think that's that's genuinely the view that he's coming from and to a degree I kind of feel the same way like I wonder if people reacted to it badly because they just just knee-jerk reaction of um of you know this is explosive and mm. yeah there are, there are ways to discuss that but also try to look at it from from what what he thinks the story is or what he intended um mm. you know so i i really don't think so i watched this film i was pleasantly surprised by it in a lot of ways not in a kind of ironic way in a genuinely like i found it really fascinating and i i always find his storytelling just really interesting because he's he's so self-assured and you can always tell that in his films i don't think he comes into anything <laughs> not knowing what he wants to do with it um so i'm happy that i've watched it and i think i've, I've watched a lot of his films um at least his american ones and like black the canal and um he's just never given me the impression that he's <sighs> he, he he never gives me the impression that a film has gotten away from him you know, so maybe mm. this is just a judgment error from him. Um, and also, he made this straight after Basic Instinct with the same writer. And as you said, w once you achieve heights like Basic Instinct, you, you are given kind of free reign. And maybe he had too much of that free reign up his nose and, you know, <laughs> something's got away from him. I something, genuinely think that might be. There was something up his nose. For sure. Yeah, there's um, something going on. <laughs> there was a lot of cocaine in this film. Um, a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. It has, it has such an energy about it as well, you know? It's, um, it has, like, this... I felt like the first half of the film was, like, her rising up the ranks, and I was really excited to watch it, even though she was meeting these horrible characters, but she kind of handled herself. And then the second half of the film was, like descent into depression yeah but that also made sense for me you know everything in the film made sense it's just a question of like is it your personal taste um yeah that's the thing know. like sometimes you just you watch a film and the the pieces are just like thrown in a bag and shuffled up and then just tossed out onto the screen you know and you think well, what yeah. the fuck am i watching what doesn't make any sense yeah and here there's there's this is legible there's dramatic arcs there's some good conflict there's some good relationship building with her and molly you know thought that was kind of a genuine thing you know mm. um there's there's some craft here <laughs> it's just uh the underlying meaning and impetus behind it is still a bit bamboozling but i thought uh, we could finish today by briefly discussing a film that we've seen since the last episode Mm -hmm. have, have you seen anything interesting that you'd like to raise here? I'm trying to think if I watched the film this past week. I think I've been watching shows primarily. Oh, yeah. Can we talk what, about shows? Oh, yeah, I've been talking about shows. Um, I watched shows Ozark. Shows are films. Shows, <laughs> films <laughs> shows are just long films, yeah. Um, I watched Ozark with Jason Bateman. Um, I love Jason Bateman. I mean, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if Naz is going to hear this, but... I love Jason Bateman. I just, oh. I, <laughs> husband material. Um, and it's about a man who moves his families out to 
um, the Ozark Lakes in Missouri, where he has to wash the cartel's money. And Jason mm. Bateman is someone who is obviously, at that point at least, was known for his comedic roles. Um, he's in Horrible Bosses, he's in Arrested Development. And this is a very serious kind of role for him. And he's just amazing and the story is amazing. And um, it's written by the guy who did The Accountant. I don't know if you ever watched that. The one oh, yeah. Him. Yeah, so he writes dialogue like a motherfucker. You know, it's just nonstop, like zingers back and forth. And everyone is an interesting character. Everyone's, you know, I've seen two episodes. Like everyone I've seen, I want to see more of. I want to know what happens to them. Um, and I would really recommend it. The only thing I hate about it is just something that we discussed last episode as well. The The lighting is so fucking dark and the grading is blue. It's just blue. I don't know how to describe blue. it. Blue. It's just blue. The whole thing's blue. And it's actually something that stopped me from watching it like when it first came out. I was just mm. like, I'm not watching this. This is fucking ugly. Um, which is really that, petty. That kind, of like, that kind of like cold feeling. Yeah, like a kind of like, (laughs) because it's set near the lakes, I wonder if they almost wanted this kind of like bluish lake look. I know that sounds ridiculous, but (laughs) the the, location is such a huge element in the story. So, and it's just dark, like physically dark. So yeah, I would, I would recommend that. And Jason Bateman is bae. How about you? (laughs) That's Uh, what I'm going to end on. Jason Bateman. (laughs) Jason Bateman. Um, yeah. Damn. I've heard a lot of good things about Ozark. Um, mm. I think that my, good. I think I've just lot of losing the, the TV track record now. I just, I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't keep up. I can't, don't know what to do. Don't know what to start with. <laughs> don't, know um, <laughs> don't know who I am. Um, but well, that's, yeah, I, I maybe I'll turn out because people uh, draw on parallels to that and like a breaking bad in terms of its, uh, Mm. level of quality of writing and stuff like that and also quite a similar story like a guy juggling two lives right because he's got a family there with him right yes yeah the biggest difference is that his family all know including his kids by the first episode so um, but it's it's yeah it's really interesting to see like you know how is he and his wife well work together as well especially Mm. since the first episode is after they've had to move because he killed the the man that his wife was having an affair with Oh. So, yeah, that's, That'll do. you know, yeah, why not? That's <laughs> what I want to see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, would recommend. Um, but unfortunately, that's, I, I don't know what else I've watched. I've watched a lot of just, like, serious stuff. I don't remember the last film I watched. The, the last watching, film I watched was... watching the uh, RuPaul Drag Race. Yes, called. I am. Yeah, Everest, of course. The UK one is really good. I'd recommend it. Second podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, <laughs> this is our spin-off. Do you, do you, you see that? Uh, I've tried to show it to a few friends, and it, it hasn't clicked with people. But I thought uh, maybe I've already tried. To... Actually, I think you told me you didn't like her. So, but mm. that that Trixie Mattel. Yes. And yeah. Katia. No, yeah, 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 yeah. You you've already told me you don't like it. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah. They've got I, a great YouTube really channel called um, it's called. Un. Uh, mm. Oh god! <laughs> uh, they just talk about different topics, and but they put them in front of a green screen, and it's hilarious. 
Yes, we should consider doing that when when lockdown's over. We should just sit in front of a green screen. Oh, mate! Well, the, edit- the editors on uh, are unbelievable. So, what? can I not say um, that again? <laughs> that time's a charm. <laughs> Make it less jarring. Well, this isn't show, girls. Joe, my mum will listen to this podcast, I'm sure. So that'll be extra extra exciting, <laughs> but for us to talk about. Um, You're just trying to shout out your mum. Hello. Hi, mum. <laughs> How are you doing? How's, how's my dog, Molly? How's she doing? Anyway. Um, and for all, well, something I watched was, um, I watched, uh, this is really, really random, but, you know, you know, I'm a Studio Ghibli fan. You know that. You know that. Oh. Uh, Go on. So I, I've watched every single Studio Ghibli film except one, which I watched. So I've now is seen it Ghibli all. or Ghibli? It's Ghibli, I believe. Is it Ghibli? I think Ghibli. it's Ghibli. Mm. It's not Studio Ghibli, no. Um, please be serious. Um, it's 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 an adaptation of of the Earthsea novels. It's called okay. Tales from Earthsea, mm-hmm. and it was directed by Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki. Okay. That was the first film he ever directed, and it was terrible. Oh. Um, <laughs> most Studio Ghibli films across the board have been very well received, and this one was mm. really bad. Um, uh, the anime okay, was stunning, uh, but it was an adaptation of these beloved Ursula Le Guin fantasy novels, the Earthsea novels, which are amazing. Mm. I read them, and uh, but it was really bad. The storytelling was really jilted. The characters were terrible. I watched it twice in English and Japanese to see if, mm-hmm. if there's something I was missing, and it was it was horrible. And it's really interesting uh, because obviously uh, Goro Miyazaki is the son of a genius. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's a behind the scenes documentary about the making of this film and talk about this is so brutal right Hayao Miyazaki goes in uh, for the first screening like the pre-screen to see what his son has put together and throughout the whole production process up to leading up to this premiere we've seen Hayao Miyazaki like look at his drawings on the board like because they all hand draw the animation he goes like no 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 <laughs> he like rips them off the wall and redoes it himself oh my god so his son kept coming in in the morning and he'd find redrawn scenes. Oh. <laughs> he, has to, he had to go like, imagine that, having your dad working in the fucking production office with you when you're trying to draw a movie. And he yeah. keeps reading anyway. So Hayao Miyazaki sits, the, the lights come up at the end of the film and he just leaves. He just leaves oh. the theatre. The camera like follows him uh, and he, he goes up for a cigarette break and the guy's like, what do you think of the film? He's like, mm, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not ready. <sighs> and it's just so brutal. But so I needed to see this film to see like what happened and it is really bad. But he then his second film he did for Ghibli was called From Up on Poppy Hill, which is about growing up uh, as a, a a kid in like rural Japan in like the 50s, I think. Mm. And it was amazing. So he, he got yeah. he got it back on the second time. But um, yeah. That's what I. Oh, it's it's nice to hear that he wasn't um, put off because it is really horrible when you, when something that you make and care for over a long period of time because um, animation takes a long time, um, you know it's bad really badly. Received. Imagine imagine if your dad That's is like prick. that level of <laughs> genius and he tells yeah. you shit. I mean Jesus. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The oh. police. Hi, Miyazaki's on the way. <laughs> Don't talk about my son. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that he's come back from that, actually. Mm. Um, 
Would you say it was depressing, the film? Oh. <laughs> For God's sake. Sial believes that Studio Ghibli films are depressing. I think like, As if uh, they've been dipped in melancholia. And mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Can you explain that? I, I don't know. I just, I, everything, I've obviously like the first um, Studio Ghibli film I Ghibli film I saw Ghibli. was <laughs> Spirited Away, I think. And you don't think that's depressing? Oh, that film's God. fucking depressing. How shit. can you watch that it's film? So depressing. Yeah, but did you stop watching it like halfway through? No, do, like... doesn't the dragon die? Doesn't Haku die? Doesn't he fuck off somewhere? No, he, he he flies away. I think. Yeah, but like, oh, sorry, sorry, he doesn't die, but he like leaves. You know, like it's, it's, it just yeah. they, they say goodbye. It's about she's saying goodbye to her the innocence of her childhood. Oh, okay. Well, that isn't that kind of depressing. Saying goodbye to the innocence of your childhood. Well, I don't want to say goodbye have, to the innocence. Have, have of you not life. done that yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> if, I mean, I think it's depressing that you haven't done that yet. That's something to talk about in another podcast. <laughs> that was inability to let go of a childhood. <laughs> That's like a five-hour podcast waiting to happen. Um, but uh, I think I uh, just choked a little bit. That was the innocence of my childhood. Yeah, that was the um, last of it choking out of your system. <laughs> I, I, I've never understood why you think Studio Ghibli films are. Depressing. I think they're quite melancholy. I think it's just. Um, I mean, they they, they, they harken back. They they sit. They're kind of. Um, the worlds they create in those films are very kind of heartfelt and from that I could probably extrapolate that feeling of uh, like I think the way you describe it is like you wishing wishing to be somewhere better or like wishing that the, the, when you were a kid things were better back then or something like that is that what yeah. you yeah I would feel I would describe it that way definitely and almost worse because you know it's so nice and beautiful in these films and uh, that's not reality. Um, oh my god! <laughs> that's a bit of a petty reason, but um, uh, right, go and watch some bloody fucking Ken Loach then, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we missed you. Um, yeah, heartfelt, fun films. <laughs> well, have you seen um, Grave of the Fireflies? Yes, of course. Yeah, I that's mean that's the fun. peak. That that one's that was peak, isn't it? Um, I mean, that is legitimately depressing. So I'll give you that one. But yeah, not as depressing as um, my neighbor Totoro. <laughs> Oh my god, are you serious? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a playful kids film. I think that film was based on um two kids that go missing in a forest or something. Is that a rumor? I think that's like, that might be that a rumor. I'm t- look it up. I swear to God, that's no. what I heard about it. <laughs> I refuse to look up the the true story behind my neighbor Todoro. I'm not going to do that. You trying to destroy it, the last vestige of happiness on this godforsaken rock? <laughs> Um, shit is depressing. I I just I can't watch any of the films. Even Porco Rosso, I just find it. It's just a hard watch. Hey, <laughs> how does that draw any parallels to your childhood? This pig pilot in like nineteen twenties Italy. I mean, what uh, what about what that? What doesn't? What isn't similar? Memories? <laughs> what isn't similar? The time I used to spend flying in blue skies. Did I, I not tell you about that, that part of my life from Shit, years you, five to six? Play, were you a seaplane pilot in World War One? I? I did not know that. I was a swine. <laughs> um, a swine? <laughs> I was swine. Flying. Um, doesn't he get a girlfriend in that film? Does that happen? He falls in love, yes. And then he 
he stops but he's he, he's like a he's like a fairy tale does it he, work out you know what you have to watch it you have to fucking watch that i've seen porco rosso well, i'm then, pretty sure it doesn't work out does it um sounds depressing i think he gets a woman does uh, because he he beats the the pilot in that plane race or that that um, dog fight at the end. Isn't that isn't that weird that it's a pig? Yeah. <sighs> <This is> furry. <laughs> what? We're recording right. this at twelve o'clock. We've officially lost our minds. <laughs> you just mentioned furries on this podcast. Like, it has to end now. So sponsor me. <laughs> that was uh, no, don't sponsor. Please don't get the furries involved. This is this is the last part of my life I can be in without furries involved. <laughs> They've invaded all other aspects of my life. Meg, uh, we do need a separate podcast for that. We'll, we'll have one for my childhood, one for your furry relationships. Um, Meg, we can't. I we do not have the time for four podcasts a week. <laughs> one for each weekday. God. Do you know how much editing I'm going to have to do? <laughs> I'll spend like a month editing each episode. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll edit the furry, furry podcast down to like 10 seconds just to cut it all out. We'll talk for two hours about furries and I'll say three minutes because it'll all be too offensive. Why are we talking about furries? Oh, my God. <sighs> Mum, if you're listening, don't, don't look up furries. <laughs> Move on. Uh, we've moved on from my life in Slough to your um, relationship um, issues and... <laughs> My That's relationship issues. <laughs> God, I hope we don't go through my relationship issues on this podcast. This is like it comes to like the dark Joe hour, like the weekly <laughs> Joe misery hour. <laughs> uh, so we have a film podcast and a therapy podcast. Yes, um, we're about to branch out. Yes, because um, we're so successful right now. So yeah, I think I think we need to. It's like when a, a YouTuber gets so successful, they have a second channel. Yeah. Um, I mean, our, our 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 listenership is 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 only increasing. Uh, <laughs> with each although week. we should we should probably say on that note, um, thank you to everyone who listens because yes. that's something that we we don't appreciate enough that people actually listen yes. to us talk to each other and descend was, into to I'm constantly surprised, pleasantly surprised by people I know and uh, respect <laughs> <laughs> take time out to. Uh, to listen to what I mean, imagine listening to this. Imagine listening to I, this conversation. Uh, Actually, to, to be fair, you know, I think we've said this before, but every podcast of us ends like this. Like, <laughs> I think as soon as we feel like we've covered the film, which we enjoy doing, and we hope it's interesting to listen to, but then we just then we, the real podcast begins. This yeah. is like this is like the after show podcast. <laughs> it's like the after hours podcast. Um, watershed yeah um this is like when they when the band goes back to the small club after the stadium gig it gets real you know what i mean it gets real up in here yeah showgirls um yeah this is this is the epitome of our bullshit talking um that probably makes up most of our friendship so, do you think that's a i mean maybe i'll is that a bad thing i'll i'll get the feedback from the listeners but uh mm. do you think that uh yeah, I like the going over these films. Well, yeah, talking about a film we've seen or a TV show we've seen each week because I feel like it just, mm. you know, we like to talk and talk and talk, but um, we do watch things on the regular as most people do. And uh, we don't just watch old shitty films. It's, sometimes it's nice to talk about things that we like. 
remember what that's like? Remember we're talking about things that we like back in the old days? You know? No, I only remember Kickboxer. And they they stole it. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's yes. brain. Oh, there's well one thing I will say. Um, there's two films that everyone should try and see. One is Judas and the Black Messiah, which I think starts premiering today on digital. Mm. I've seen it and it's amazing. And then there was another film. What was that film I sent you Sarah, about? Um, it is was it set Raya? In that, Raya? Oh no, not the dragon. It was set in that prison. Uh, night. The ah. night Yes. Was it Night of the? It was Night of the, the Kings. Night of the Kings. Yes, that looks great. Absolutely mental. Yes. Uh, which is like a French film that they shot in the Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely check that. Yeah, that looks amazing. You should also watch that. Hmm. 100%. Oh, and uh, at some point, this is not related to this podcast, but we should watch that Space Sweepers, that South Korean sci-fi film. Yes, we should. We should. And also, yeah. Zack Snyder's Justice League comes out on Friday, I think. Oh, <laughs> Justice League is a film that we could probably cover on this on this um, podcast, but Jesus Christ, that would mean that I've I've seen it three times, and I'm not well, sure what, I want to do we, that. We could watch the original and the new one. Ooh, interesting. Compare and contrast. That might be interesting. You're right. Although, hmm. although I think that would destroy the that would destroy our podcast because. <laughs> Our ideas of what this potential in the old one, he's mm. actually gone back and done it again. <laughs> so. That's true, actually. That's anyway. an interesting way. This has been a great chat, as always. Mm-hmm. And um, Showgirls, go check it out. Less depressing uh, than Studio Ghibli films. I'll ignore <laughs> that. And I'll see you all next week. And Xiao will might not be here after this because of that comment. So this is now a solo podcast. Uh, <laughs> Joe talking to himself. The Joe Ghibli hour, uh, the, the happy time Ghibli hour with Joe. Um, maybe you can feature on it. So yeah, is that okay? Are you free next week to feature? <laughs> I'm happy to talk about the futility of life through Studio Ghibli. Goodbye, See you next everybody. week. <laughs>